<laughs> if you ever want to spend some money, uh, you ever been up to HGR Inc. In I've heard good things. Um, yeah, I have, like, I have a buddy. It is amazing. It's it's kind of like the scene in um, Indiana Jones where it's just this giant warehouse. <laughs> it's just this massive facility. It's this old military base. Oh, the I didn't know that part. Leaking. It's huge. I mean, I don't know how many square feet it is. A million square feet or something. It's, it's enormous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. It, Are you being serious? I'm being serious. It's oh, huge. Man. And there's just like, yeah, there's holes in the ceiling. So if it's a rainy day, you can't go down this aisle because it's just dripping on you. But they've got just, someone has an automation, a factory that they just tear down. They just rip out the automation line, just plop it in aisle 38. <laughs> so if you want to get a bunch of 80-20, it's an amazing place, and just the weirdest stuff is there. But I have a really friend that cool buys is... hand tools from there. He's like, it's like twenty bucks for a drill if you just buy a lot of them. You get there's you get hand drills like, like the no, Milwaukee, Makita, like good shit, you know. And so you can get robot arms, you know, ABB robot arms that are there. They may not have a Seriously? control system, but there's the arm. I got <laughs> I went up there and got metrology granite, like foldable pieces. Oh yeah, they had a whole aisle of metrology granite. It was like ten cents on the dollar. <laughs> Nice. Buying new, so I went up there, bought it. I got it. I had a air table with it. Um, That's awesome. Like really, legitimately nice stuff. Welcome to Collaborative with Spencer Krauss. This is a place for accomplished professionals to talk about their life and their work in an informal and hopefully an insightful way. If you like what you see, hit subscribe below. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Collaborative Podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Krauss. Our guest today is Mike Formica. Mike is an all-around great guy and also the president of Naya Systems, a company that makes autonomous trucks for the military. Mike, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Spencer. Appreciate it there today. Wish yeah. I could do it in person, but the uh, schedule didn't quite work out, but that's the new normal, right? No worries. Yeah. I mean, we're, we've never been better equipped to go remote, so. Yeah, that's for sure. Happy to be hanging out, even if it's not in the same room. Yeah, this still works. Yeah. So, so as you uh, see, I'm here in my uh, my man cave. Nice. Which, um, yeah, it's a different one than I usually see you in, I feel like. I, I think this is probably the right one. Maybe the lighting's off or something. I've actually been, um, when the when COVID hit, my kids were both going to school from home. My wife was working from home. So we all kind of had to scatter to find different corners because I was trying <laughs> to do work. You know, I've got one of my kids and I got a physics test. Can you help me with this? Or, hey, did you see what happened in the, in the game last night? And it was just getting to be disruptive. I love spending sense. the time with the kids at home, but we kind of need to find our corners. This is the corner I ended up settling in. So I'm in the back corner of my workshop right now. Is that but the new external building or is that the... Uh... This is the old original workshop. Oh, that's why I have it because last time I saw you were in the new one. So that's that was the difference. Right. Here's the interesting problem with the new one. So I built this uh, 1,500 square foot workshop, that which is. I am just thrilled about. Lots of room for lots of big toys. Um, turns out, of all the things that are not available in today's world, we're worried about chips for computers, garage doors. <laughs> I'm glad Love you it. find it funny because it's screwing me right I'm now. I'm sorry, brother. No, that's all good. Garage doors are six-month lead time. So Jesus. I'm like, I'm going to build it. Yeah, but I put it in when the garage was done. Because I was like, I want to see what it looked like. So I want lots of windows, a little bit of windows. Like, you know what? I'll wait till it's finished. I'll order the doors, figure it, give it myself a month and install them. Now, six months. So the problem now is Fuck. it's a little bit cold. It's a little bit hot. I've got this just wide open to the elements. So 
I can't run the heat or the air conditioning and fight the uh, the fact that the whole bottom is wide open. Yeah, it makes sense. So, it's going to cost um, you tons of money and not be effective. Exactly. So I'm not fully moved. In fact, I've only moved over a little bit of things so on a nice day like today. I could sit out there. I've got a desk up there with my laptop, but most of my equipment's still back in the old shops. This is the old one. Makes this is sense. like a third of it. Um, but the new one will be nice and big and get some new toys in there. Badass. Yeah, no, that's that's a cool space. I'm jealous of it. It's uh, it's really nice. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward. I'll ha- we'll have you up. Maybe we'll do a podcast there. Yeah, in, in a enough. year at this rate, the way the uh, we'll see when stuff shows up. I just got a field microphone, so I got a blue snowball. I recorded the last episode from uh, the Greek island of Crete. The internet nice. there was horrible. I had to do it off my cell phone, uh, wireless. But yeah. um, I, I met this Welsh computer game programmer uh, and just brought him in, you know, because he's nice enough guy i wanted to make an episode but think so. about that where we're at today you just kind of show up in the middle of nowhere pull your cell phone out and actually do something meaningful yeah for sure i mean it's, it's a little it's different back in my day yeah i mean you're still doing stuff you're, you're running a business so. oh yeah no i'm just i've my first job didn't have email yeah my first job out of college email didn't exist um and we were still getting note you know you had like the uh, those little pink things that you had a receptionist, someone would call you, they'd write it on a little pink piece of tablet paper, and that's how you got your messages. And I don't even know how we did work without email. But yeah. We did. And it's just so it's kind of interesting seeing that transition. I mean, I the, that generation. the Saturn V was made without email. The, the space shuttle, man, did they even have CAD for that? You know, like all the tanks in World War II? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was all paper. I mean, my first CAD was doing it with pen. You know, here's the eight different pencils you have to use of different widths and thicknesses. So, that's what I learned. And I remember getting, they had a, ca- a cam, this was a cam course, uh, my senior year in high school. And there was like one computer for 20 of us. Holy crap. But How did like you get right on that thing? You just, you fought for it. You, know, you worked, <laughs> you'd get three, three or four of you would get into class early and you'd say, okay, let's work on this together. And you kind of teamed up. It was like a little bit of survivor. Nice. But that's what it was like. And, you know, I was in elementary school when I first saw a computer. And I don't remember what it was. I think it was a Wang it was like a you know, black and white monitor, big thing. And they played some like adventure game or something on it. But <laughs> the, the teachers had no idea what to do with them. That makes um, sense. But the, the cam stuff was kind of neat for the first time. It was the first time you actually saw digital technology. But that was that was late 80s. So yeah, it's kind of cool awesome. to see the before and the after that um, not everybody gets to see. Yeah. yeah and, still be li- and still be literate at it. I was, I was decent. Like I, I was kind of... Uh like a child, like I was, I was doing more stuff than the other kids at school. So I, uh, I was born in 88, so a young fuck, but I, um, <laughs> so just to be clear, you were born in 88, that story about cam happened in 87. So nice. Okay. Was... Yeah. So yeah. So Thanks, it predates me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It, it but in does. kindergarten, we had five and a quarter inch floppies on, on, it sounds like a similar computer to what you're describing. Cause it was for kindergarten. They just gave us whatever piece of shit. No one else wanted. And right. then um, in when I was in like first and second grade, I could beg like an older Mac because I went to a pretty ritzy school. I could get my hands on like, a, I think it was like a Performa 6400 or like they had those Mac clones Motorola was making in the mid 90s. I could get my hands on one of those. And I was maybe like like seven or 10 years old, somewhere in that range. And, you know, if, if you just, you know, like hung out with the IT guy, he'd give you old computers the school was throwing out. So that was how right. I sort of learned about it was, was just getting the, the trash and taking yeah, My first computer was a Vic, a Vic 20. 
which nice. I still have somewhere up in this mess. I have it up there on the shelf, believe it or not. Badass. Because I don't, I don't throw anything away. Um, and then when I was in, it would have, I guess, been either junior high or high school, they had an Apple II computer. And I got to oh, those the things summers. are cool, man. The double, the dual floppies on it. They didn't make that um, many, I don't think, either, did they? I mean, the Apple I One is so. like a total collector's item, but the Apple II was still pretty limited release. I was such a nerd I, for that stuff. Probably, but that's that's when I first started pro was that the Vic Twenty, and then that thing is what I started did, to learn to program. Did you ever take it apart? Because I heard that like Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak signed the inside of the chassis injection molding, but I don't Even know. Even though if I was borrowing it from school and I wasn't supposed to be in the first place, I wasn't about to take it apart. <laughs> I take apart everything else I can, but that was one I did not. That would have been pretty cool to see, though. I'm curious if that was actually if that's real or if that's like an urban legend. <laughs> but uh, go, let's go to find go to eBay. And let's go buy one and take yeah, it down. inside. It'd be fun to find out. I'm sure hipsters actually, have driven the price way up now. They're probably like three grand or more. Yeah, probably. We actually Listen. did that at my uh, last company. We would just buy random stuff on eBay just to see how it works. And we were building laser That's scanners. Cool. Um, we were trying to figure out, you know, what's the best mirror systems and how to, you know, we didn't know anything about optics. So um, <laughs> we got some late HP laser printers. There's a really interesting, um, you know, there's a, basically a spinning mirror in there. And just Wait, the way they did the assembly. Oh yeah, like, like a lidar kind of. Yeah, it was like a hexagonal mirror. Uh, it was an injection molded housing, and they had just a little uh, TO can LED, LED diode uh, pointing at this mirror that just spun. And because it was faceted, it would basically, you know, as it as the angle rotated, it would spin it. And then once it got to the end, the next facet would come, but just immediately retract. So it would just go from you know it was like a, just a raster scan out of this hexagonal mirror. It was just yeah. an interesting way to approach it with a continuous spin. So um, probably fairly yeah, quick too. Like that explains how they're able to get it to like really blaze like that. It it just there's no retrace time because as soon as it ends, it immediately again the fat the angle just it resets it at the start. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. So we just learned a lot taking things apart. So we had a habit of like once a month we just go grab some random thing on eBay. Uh, some were more interesting than others, but that was that was one of the cooler ones. That sounds like fun. Yeah, it was it was pretty good. We had a good group of guys over there. Nice. That would have been uh, Three Rivers 3D for the listeners. Uh... Yes, Three Rivers 3D. I started that company in 2008. I think every company I started started in a recession of some sort. So, you know, I did telecom in 2000. So that nice. was a great idea. Um, we talked about the dot com. I lived that month. That that was a nightmare. All of our customers went out of business. We were like, we went Holy from crap. zero to like three million dollars in a year, which wow. back then was a lot. We're profitable. We're growing, and we're like, okay, we're gonna conquer the world. And then the companies that were like billion-dollar companies were getting acquired, and then they they get acquired by a company, and then they'd be gone the next month. Wow. Um, it was just crazy. These just the the bloodletting that happened, and it happened quick. Um, yes, I did that in two. I started that company in two thousand, and then cool. um, did lane departure warning about 20, 20 years too early. So everybody's making billions of dollars doing uh, self-driving car work. We were doing lane departure. In the early 2000s, first oh. departure system. We were 20 years too early. Mobileye was our biggest competitor. They got bought by a few billion bucks by Intel. So Damn. we thought we had a good acquisition until I watched them a few years later. So the timing's <laughs> not been my forte for sure. And uh, yeah, three started Three Rivers in 2008, right in the recession. Um, so four times maybe the charm. We'll see. Yeah, either it will be or it won't. Um... I just shifted my focus to uh, working as uh, the director of advanced projects for this company, FormLogic. So this is yes, the first time I'm announcing on the podcast, but um, yeah. I'm, well, congratulations. Uh, I know that's case slowed down, case slowed down to basically zero to, to be able to focus on that. So what are you going to be doing there? 
So um, my job is to look at like, um, so honestly, I mean, because it's a startup, it's a little bit of everything. Uh, on their website, they've got $40 million in, in venture funding right now. Um, but they, they've raised a Series A, we'll say. Um, and um, they um, are looking to just explore um, sort of how to scale their shop. So if you look at their website, it's... Um, it's a and I wouldn't say do it now, but like check it out later. It, it's kind of cool. Um, basically, what they're doing is just extreme automation of manufacturing in an American machine shop that's like right here in Pittsburgh. And so, froze. there you go. The idea is just you know scaling and automating like end to end machining processes and being able to hit high tolerance, uh, high precision parts for aerospace, now, medical, and for... frontier industries. Internal usage or selling production lines with this new capability? So um, right now we're looking to just sell production. So, you know, basically machining. Um, so say you want parts made, uh, typically you pay a machinist to do it in-house. Well, you can pay us an hourly rate and we'll do it. Um, and we can hit better repeatability and precision, you know, because we automate it and, you know, it's, it's computers. And so we're just trying to, to go for scalability. Got it. Okay. Well, you know, my, I, I love manufacturing. I think it's great to see somebody doing stuff domestically, especially in town. Uh, it's way too easy to say, ah, just throw it over the, the fences, let somebody else do it. And I think we lose a lot in that process. So I'm glad you guys are working on that. Yeah, no, it feels really good. I mean, and, you know, if you want to get like a little bit political, I mean, you know, the only way we're going to be competitive to China is if we get really, really good at automation and we already are good at it, but we could be better at it. And so it's fun we're, to be working on that good, problem. They're better. The Japanese are better. We've, um, we've, we've tended to invent these industries and then just let them die. You know, we, we don't really do, there's no, not enough robotics companies in this country right now. When I say robot, I look at robotics as factory robotics. You know, Carnegie Mellon definitely is mobility, right? Things with wheels, yeah. things that are moving around and that's great. But to me, robotics, my experience with robotics has always been factory robots. The things you'd see in Detroit, yeah, and for sure. uh, that's an area that I think we could still do a lot of damage in this country and do really well. Um, but yeah, and competitively, yeah, I don't like getting political at all, but from a competitive standpoint, we need to do that sort of work. Well, for sure. I mean, and you know, I mean, yeah, you, you want to be competitive. I want my company to be competitive. Um, I want to be competitive. I want our country to be competitive. I mean, you know, it's just, you know, it's whatever you can do to help the team, right? So right. Yeah, absolutely. It. Well, you know, we're seeing the supply chain thing. Everybody's looking at the, the ships on the shore, but there's a lot to be said when something's coming from, you know, halfway across the world, you lose access to the supply chain. You lose the ability to, to see the parts being made. And it's kind of out of sight, out of mind when you're building something. In, and I used to do this all the time. And I had a bunch of vendors I've worked with in town and I would just go see them in the shop. I made a habit partly because I was cheap, but partly because I wanted to see those guys. I'd pick up production runs like, hey, I'll stop by and pick it up. You know, so I go to the anodizer, but you know, you, then I'd learn about anodizing and I'd say, okay, well now I see, now that I know about your process better, I can do things on my side to make your job easier to make my costs lower. And, you know, I've gone to my machine shop, um, Path Enterprises out in Beaver, and I'd go out there with a part and a Sharpie. We just start marking and putting holes on it. And, you know, that's it. We do drawings, but sometimes we just brainstorm together at a table. And that's just hard to do when somebody's halfway across the world. I just took a um, whole bunch of Sharpie marks off, off of parts in order to uh, be able to take them to ARM uh, annual yeah, member meeting. So I, you know, I was like, 
these sharpie marks are awesome i love them but they're not going to look good on a trade trade uh show right so. but yeah you get the, you get that so it's it, i think literally getting your hands dirty and, and touching it is is missing a lot these days yeah and i really like it um part of what we as a company are trying to do is help with being able to work on stuff remotely but I mean, given what I do, I'm, I'm trying to be on site as much as I can. And, and so it's kind of fun to, to be right there in the room and kind of be like a point guy for a lot of interesting stuff. One of those things is anodizing, by the way. So. You guys do anodizing in-house? Um, I don't know what I'm meant to say on that, but um, okay. I, I'm it's just, doing it's some exploration on it. Okay. It's, it's just one of those nasty processes that I, I would build almost – anything in my building I could, but anodizing is one I would never, ever want to do. <laughs> so just, what's been always... your experience with anodizing that you wouldn't want to in-house it? Um, a lot of chem chemicals is an area, you know, we all have our expertise, right? So my background, I've covered electrical, mechanical, and optical, yeah. chemical, chemistry, and bio, you know, bio is gross. You know, the squishy sciences, I just don't like it. <laughs> squishy um, sciences, it's funny. So it's funny because my son wants to be a doctor. I'm like, that's great, dude. But don't my dad worry. was a doctor. I wouldn't do that shit ever. I, I know that's that's how I feel, but um, mm. the chemical you know, I just never never was a big expert in chemicals and chemistry, and so anodizing's a lot of that. You know, what's the acids, what's the concentrations, cleaning the tanks, uh, just not the sort of stuff I've really gotten into more than anything else. So nothing Makes wrong sense. with it. Just honestly, yeah. like not a chemistry expert either. So that's one thing where um, not my sport. I may have to bring in some external help for that, but. Um... There's plenty of people in town know what they're doing, so yeah. Well, like I everything mean, here, you know, it it may not be an in-house. It may be like something else. So I mean, you know, there's there's different ways to attack a problem. It might be similar yeah. Don't we get intro. We could talk. Yeah. It's always always good to talk about those things. For sure. I did see like a DIY anodizing system where you take a bunch of igloo coolers and you just set up the different acid baths. And I'm like, that just like yeah. I didn't. I just didn't want Fucking to. Fucking terrifying. That. Yeah, yeah. No, that seems Pretty dangerous. Much. Yeah. <laughs> I've ruined plenty of shirts back, you know, with you know, battery acid from, you know, it's car batteries and four wheeler batteries and things. So yeah, I don't need to ruin like my face. Yeah. I, um, I did get the breaking bad mask recently for some experiments I was doing. Um, but in research and development, I mean, as you know, I mean, you're always doing some weird stuff you never thought you'd be doing because a project needs it. And so, um, I mean, I have a full face dual cartridge respirator that can block chlorine gas. Nice. So, yeah. yeah I need it for that fun <laughs> so yeah i used uh, one of those when i was doing some uh powder coating nice so it's a really fine powder you want to use it and i'm lucky i haven't blinded myself i've had enough lasers in the last dozen years <laughs> um i've got boxes of lasers buried in here somewhere and some of them are way too powerful and some what kind of wattage um the stuff we were deploying was always five to ten but i always found my way to 100 water just to see what i could do with it <laughs> or 100 milliwatt excuse me, 100 milliwatt not 100 okay watt. okay that makes sense. i have i have a the 60 watt in my laser cutter nice but that's got all the safety systems well they're mostly disabled too so that's probably part of the problem mine's a 25 watt so not not as big but it's it's a versa laser so it's 25 uh, american watts <laughs> yeah my mine's a coherence a little bit old it's not the it's a it's showing its age at this point <laughs> but first thing i did is you know, you just disable well. all the disable all the uh the interlocks on it so you can operate it open and do goofy stuff so probably should do less of that what are you doing with it open that you need it like that like uh, engraving the end of a thing that you jam through or something something too big yeah they can't sense. quite fit in the right way or um I, I don't know just print just on principle 
I kept my interlocks enabled. Uh, I probably should install an e-stop, but because the VL uh, laser system I've got doesn't have a good uh, e-stop feature, my way of stopping it when it's ruining a part is opening the interlock. <laughs> so... I, I know a lot of people do that, actually. Um... Yeah, and I was having problems with mine. I got to use. I get a lot of used equipment. Yeah, mine's used too. It's a Carnegie Mellon throwaway. So. Yeah, mine was an Art Institute throwaway. Nice. Um, yeah, same actually. Good find. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I oh, know. Not. Um, a, I mean, sorry. Mine was Margaret Morrison. So, like the Carnegie Mellon School of Art. So, same thing. Okay. Same idea though. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. This is the Art Institute that was down on the Boulevard of the Allies. Nice. But it wasn't working quite right, so I had to make a lot of repairs. And part of it is when you're doing the repairs making sure the interlock circuit wasn't what was defeating something from working. So a lot of it was just- Oh, that part of the you just, just get the thing to run. I, I spent about maybe two or three grand getting mine running after I, I rescued it from a dumpster. Yeah, I think that's about what I spent on mine. I did get a new laser too, but everything Same. else was supposed yeah, to be fixable. The recharge was like 1500 and then I maybe spent like another 500 out of pocket. Yep, and I had to buy it, yeah, to put a new motor in. I also had a, my, I had a Stratasys 3D printer here too. Oh, nice. Um, You've hacked that's that back... though, right? Because that's such a waste of money to buy their filament for- Oh yeah, I, I definitely have the hack. I've got the hack so you can put in whatever material you. Well, it's still yeah. ABS, but I can put generic ABS, and I got a guy I can just buy the chips from, so you can kind of reset each cartridge. Nice. Um, but those were this is before MakerBots and things were out there, so they were for back then to get a printer was twenty thirty thousand dollars. So I found a guy on Craigslist out in Philadelphia had it. He goes, yeah, it was broken. I called Stratus. It was going to be ten thousand dollars to fix it, so he just sold it for for nothing. Um, What'd you pay? All the bearings. Uh, $3,000. Oh, good find, man. That's awesome. But it was completely bound up. Every axis was bound up. Ah. And it was interesting. It was a Thompson, it was a, it's a round rail and it looks like a Thompson, Thompson bearing in. I'm like, oh, well, maybe the bearings are just bad. So as I ripping it apart, I found the bearings were, it was, the bearings had completely disintegrated. So it was, you got these recycling balls. The plastic had just, it, it just had fallen apart. So the whole thing was bound up, but they weren't Thompson. It was a cheap knockoff. Oh. They're supposed to be Thompson branded, and I'm guessing what happened, they probably started with Thompson rails, which are great. At some point, they switched to these off-brand ones, which didn't survive. I got, because I was able to get Thompson drop-ins, and the whole thing has worked beautifully ever since. So I think it That's ended awesome. up costing me probably a couple hundred bucks worth of bearings, and that was it. But Stratus is cheaped out on that, and they were selling for 20, 30 grand? I, that's my, pres I can't imagine anybody else who would have done it. Yeah, that makes sense I mean, to me. These are homemade bearings. I mean, the guy that I bought it from wasn't doing it. He had a maintenance contract with Stratus. And they just said, yeah. we don't know what's wrong. We're just going to replace the entire drive assembly, which would have taken the bearings and everything else out with it instead of just the bearings themselves. Um, That's shitty. I don't know, but they, they were not the name brand ones you'd expect, but put the good ones in. And Given the amount of money you're paying on the sticker for that, you'd think they'd put, you know, like a hundred bucks worth of bearings into it. Maybe, maybe you, that thing is a beast though. There's a lot. I mean, there's a reason maker, they bought MakerBot because everything in their things over-engineered, you know, the it, it's, four times bigger, stronger than what a MakerBot would be in every dimension. The motors are bigger. The bearings are bigger. You got multiple bearings. Um, it's awesome. It's, it's, a, it's built like a tank. Uh, I suspect that they just, at some point, they were just, you know, people make those decisions like, oh, these ones are 25% cheaper. Let's just go with them. And yeah. by the time they realized it was a problem, it was probably too late. They yeah, you're right. Maybe maybe they didn't even keep it, but like a few units got out and yours was one of those. And that's why I found out. I have no clue. I haven't. Although the guy I bought the the, uh, the hack chips from, I told I gave him the instructions how to do it. Cause he had other people had experienced a similar problem, so there were other ones out there like that. But uh, yeah, I got that one. That was another find I got cheap. Um, I've got I bought a printer here, FlashForge printer, 
which cool. I bought by mistake. I was trying to buy a resin printer and I, I Googled <laughs> the wrong thing. And I What's came a out flash like, this It's just some cheapo. It looks like a big ladybug. It's like a, it's like a kid's 3D printer and it makes all these goofy noises. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. It's these nice. are the cheapest be, drives. It, it's super junky, but for like, it'd be like for an eight-year-old. Like you just load nice. it up and you print some like tiny little part, but um, that one did yeah, that one didn't work when I got it. I, there was like this guy had a lot of printers that were, you know, as is. So it's just to me it's like same fun. dude. No different different guy. Okay. If just some eBay guy, but I again I, I I didn't read the description carefully enough. I didn't realize what I was getting. So that's just <laughs> sitting here literally collecting dust next to my chair. I've got an arrow wolf uh, that's basically being a boat anchor over there in the office. Just trying to give yeah, it back to the guy I got it from because I have nothing I can do with it right now. Yeah. This is a, a printer. I, I actually, when my kid, my son was in eighth grade, well, actually, when I was in seventh grade, I started teaching computers at his school because the teachers just didn't really, just weren't very good at it. So I was just teaching regular computers. And then I created a 3D printer after school club that we just teach how to use a printer. I bought a printer, uh, Lulzbot, and they taught him how to use printers. And then when they were in eighth grade, they were still interested. So we built a printer from scratch which is what I have sitting behind me now. It, it looks like it was built by eighth graders, but it worked. They got to go to the science fair in the spring and they had the, the printer that they had made. They're really proud of it. It was generating parts, but cool. it's on my to-do list to strip down and kind of rebuild the-, the Yeah, it makes way. sense. They probably missed a few things. I um, I got a Folger uh, Tech FP5 um, off a guy for uh, probably more than I should have paid, but not a lot of money. And um, I just remember every system I tore apart and that just being disgusted with the lack of uh, build quality, we'll say. Yeah. And so no, these, these, these kids did pretty good, but it was a it was also a rush to get it done, too. It, so it was a dude I, I used to do battle bots with. And so I shouldn't I shouldn't be too mean on the guy. The guy is really nice. <laughs> and he's he's, you know, real engineer, but. It's yeah, just certain, you just got to take the shortcuts. Yeah, I think that was his attitude. And so certain things were just kind of hacked and. I think a lot of it was just Folger Tech's design too. Like, they just had these crappy nuts, and they used all thread and put a bearing on it, so like the bearing was like grinding against the all thread. I don't know. It just was like yeah, I'm not a big fan of all thread for things like that. Yeah, know? same. And then, so I pulled those out. I put in shoulder bolts. I added um, thrust bearings. Um, you know, all the wiring was unshielded and was like through terminals. Uh, and then like nobody had put on, you know, like uh, rings or, or spades. It was just bare wire and terminal blocks. I, I don't even know if they use terminal blocks now that I'm thinking back. Like, you know, I just been twisted together and like, yeah. it, it was just the laziest from an electrical perspective. And so I just ended up ending up with a paperweight because I overcomplicated it and I catted up all these panels and I laser cut all these, you know, different bezels. And then I just, I, I just didn't finish it. <laughs> yeah. I've had a few products like that as well. Yeah. I bought myself a, uh, a wax 3d printer at one point, the 3d systems wax printer. And I have no, it was huge. So I yeah. wanted to gut it and make something else out of it. But after sitting in my garage for probably five years, I'm like, I'm just never going to rip. This yeah. Off. Well, that's the thing by the time, like when you, when you do that and you invest too much time in a project, like by the time you realize you've done that, it's obsolete. <laughs> Yep. Done? And that's what that's this this one was. And I was like, well, I could just steal the motor motion control systems out of it. I'm like, but I that's it. I just I, I did right an there. eBay sweep and I, I probably had like five to ten grand worth of stuff I just stuck on eBay recently. And I'm just like, should I just gut this thing? Like it's only gonna depreciate more. And so right. like... <laughs> if you ever want to spend some money, uh you ever been up to HGR Inc. In I've Cleveland? heard good things. Um yeah, I have, like... I have a buddy. 
it is amazing. It's it's kind of like the scene in um, Indiana Jones where it's just this giant warehouse. <laughs> it's just this massive facility. It's this old military base. Oh, the I didn't know that is part. Leaking. It's huge. I mean, I don't know how many square feet it is. A million square feet or something. It's, it's enormous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. It, Are you being serious? I'm being serious. It's Fuck huge. Me. And there's just like, yeah, there's holes in the ceiling. So that if it's a rainy day, you can't go down this aisle because it's just dripping on you. But they've got just someone has an automation, a factory that they just tear down. They just rip out the automation line, just plop it in aisle 38. <laughs> so if you want to get a bunch of 80 20, it's an amazing place. And just the weirdest stuff is there. But I have really a friend that buys hand tools from there. He's like, it's like 20 bucks for a drill if you just buy a lot of them. You can there's you can hand drill like, like the no, Milwaukee Makita like good shit you know and so you can get robot arms you know ABB robot arms that are there they may not have a Seriously? control system but there's the arm I got <laughs> I went up there and got metrology granite like actually multiple pieces oh yeah they had a whole aisle of metrology granite it was like ten cents on the dollar compared nice. to buying new so I went up there bought it, I got it I had a air table with it um, that's awesome like really legitimately nice stuff. Um, yeah, it's cool. Coordinate measuring machines. I, I bought one machine once. Just did they know what it was, or were they just the yeah. business? Okay, so they know what it is, but they'll sell it for less because they they're getting it for so cheap. Yeah, that makes um, sense. this stuff is really, and the longer it sits, the cheaper it gets. Yeah, so the one sense. that's got a lot of dust on it is more negotiable than the one that's clearly pristine. But yeah. they've got great stuff up there. It's a, you could <laughs> lose it. You just spend a day just looking how things were made. Yeah. Right there's a machine I've never. You know, I don't know what this is—a potato just, peeling machine or something. I just gave away a drill press that was taking up floor space, but it's—it's it's like a '50s or a '60s craftsman. That I mean, the thing must have weighed like 200 pounds. Like, it, I mean, it felt like lifting a body. It was fucking heavy. Yeah. But um, I—I I, I mean, you know, they don't—they don't make stuff. Well, I don't know, it's kind of a cliche to say they don't make stuff like that anymore because I feel like the stuff we saw from back then is the stuff that survived up until now. So we're biased, but I don't know. Well, CNC machine tools are right. You get a bridge port, you refurb a bridge port, it's still a pretty good piece of machinery. Yeah, I agree. Just... Do they still make those or is that like an outdated? I, as far as I know, it's still I know around. Right? I, th I think so. Yeah, I think so too. Although I mean, the I've never bought a... set the standard basically. Yeah, I've never uh, bought a new Bridgeport. I bought a couple of used ones, but I've never actually bought a new one. But I, I think I've never had the space to set one up. <laughs> I've wanted one for a while. Well, that's why I built that new garage. I've got room for one now. I just nice. haven't. I got to get heat in there first. That makes sense to me. So it'll maybe this time next year we'll see. Yeah, who knows? I, I've heard the more jigboard machines are good value for money if you want something like a little bit more precise, but with yeah, a small decide... envelope. Yeah, I don't know what I want to get yet. I just I have room for anything. I just don't know what it's going to be. I think one of my friends, um, I probably shouldn't go into detail on this, but he ended up with a Cincinnati through a, a trade of some kind. And uh, I mean, you know those Cincinnatis. I mean, they're they're just oh, yeah. massive castings that you know you can take huge chunks out and not shatter the thing too bad. So kind of cool. Yeah, I'll be I'll be. Uh, strolling HDR and Craigslist when the time nice. is right. At Form Logic, we're running Grobes um, and uh, Dusans and one other make. I mean, I just started, so I'm trying to right. remember, but it's it's a sweet setup. I mean, it's just a lot of, oh, we're running like some lower cost Haas machines just to get a benchmark on that. And so it's it's fun to see what's what's there and, and get a feel for all these, all these top of the line CNC machines that are coming out now. I think machining is an underappreciated 
high tech capability. I think people look at machinists as this dull, dirty, old technology, and it's just not. No, it's it's, it's impressive. I mean, if you've ever watched what I'll call CNC porn, but those videos, you know, like the nine axis machines, just using yeah. active tooling, you know, doing crazy dodge and dive cuts. I mean, I, I watch all those sorts of videos on YouTube, like yeah. you know, the the CNC machines. I also like the like the um, automated fruit, like the blueberry sorting machines, because people talk <laughs> about I'm going to build a robot that's going to you know pick apples or whatever, and that's a nice idea until you see just how fast these current processes are. Like the idea that I'm going to go eh, mm, grab, pick, come back, drop, and meanwhile the, the machine's got like ten tons of apples in that same amount of time and these like blueberry sorting machines, they're amazing. They use machine vision and a puff of air. So they just, they're going by oh, and smart. this camera sees it and it just poof, push, pushes it. Like there's a, an air gap. The yeah. velocity is such that it clears the air gap, except if it's green, this little puff, puff of air just pushes it down. And, and oh, that's part so of cool. And you have to watch it with a high-speed camera. And I'm like, it's just, when people, I think not enough people spend time watching videos like that to see what true I mean, production is really capable automation, of. Automation, like at, at high speed like that. Um, or you've just got a massive line in your movie. I mean, that stuff impresses the hell out of me. I agree. And, and the fact that you, you build it to last 20 years, I mean, you know, it's just, it's solid. Yeah, my first job um, out of college was at a company called Aerotech in town, which most people don't know of, but they're... That's a recruiting firm, now. right? No. Oh, well, yes. Aerotech is a recruiting firm. I don't feel like an asshole anymore. That's good. I think that's aerotech with a k okay different company aerotech ch uh does linear positioning systems or positioning systems high very high precision nanometer level motions um and they're an rdc park but they're one of these big companies in town that people don't really hear of unless you really are into the space um and i'm i, I don't know how big they are now 100 million 150 million I, they just bought another building so they're they're certainly growing really well that's um, their yearly revenue or their market cap oh I have no idea. What they're, I'm just guessing at their revenue, just okay, based on how many it, cars. Right. Like I have, I'm just saying they're they're a, they're not a ten million dollar company. They're a hundreds of millions of dollar scale company. Cool. Um, and when I worked there, my job was as an applications engineer was basically just to go around and meet with customers and talk about okay, here's what's your problem you're trying to solve, and then here's our product for it. And I got to see manufacturing plants all over the country. And, you know, at the time, I didn't realize what a formative experience that was. So you work for a company, you learn one thing about what they make, and Aerotech made stuff in-house. But then I go and see all of their customers, you know, laser machining companies, disk drive companies, semiconductor companies, circuit board assembly companies, and see with their manufacturing as well. And, um, I mean, it was several – I worked there for a few years, and, boy, it – it was, I, every time I got to go to a manufacturing site, my eyes just got big and I would drool. I would just love going to those places. Yeah. Yeah. I get, um, I get excited too. I, I, I had one friend who was, um, working for a manufacturing automation company who would, uh, I don't know that he was supposed to show me the things that he showed me, but I, um, I got to see lines worth tens of millions of dollars, you know, that were. I won't say who they went to because I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but you know, it, it's some of the stuff I saw. I mean, you know, it's, it's truly impressive. I mean, just the level of automation, the speed, the precision, um, the ability to fix itself and reject bad product. I mean, it's, it's, it's impressive. Yeah. There's, there's a lot more to it than people give credit to. Yeah. Yeah. For I sure. They have an easier time hiring manufacturing techs. If people saw what, how advanced it really is.
Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it, actually. So you think it would just be more of a sexy job and people would want to do it more is what you're trying to say? I, I think there's a mis misconstrued perspective on manufacturing being a, a dirty job that nobody wants. Because yeah. at one point it was, right? I mean, sure. the steel mills in town, I mean, people made a lot of money, but it wasn't exactly an easy job. It wasn't a job you aspired to do. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't know that, I mean, it's an easy job now. I mean, if you do. I'm not saying it's, it's not. Yeah. yeah, I don't think any of it was ever easy. I just don't think people wanted to go do. You didn't say, I want to grow up and, and work in a steel mill. I that makes sense. Did, yeah, yeah, you're going to get miners long, you stupid idiot. Why would you want to do that? So I think um, people just shied away from manufacturing for a long time. But when you see a, a really advanced modern manufacturing facility, it's it's interesting. It's technically challenging. For sure. uh, it's not dirty. I mean, everything about it to me is it, it's great. I I've love been in it. summer. Like, I mean, I, I don't know if I would do this or not, but, it, you know, you, you're walking through, you feel like you could eat off the floor. Like, it's so clean, you know. And, well, definitely and, don't want to do that. Yeah, I would assume. <laughs> In case you're wondering, definitely don't. Yeah, fair enough. But well, what I'm right. saying is like a clean shop where, you know, there's no storage space designed it on purpose. Right. I mean, there's certain principles they follow. Um, our our shop know. was like that. We had yeah. um, everything was a tiled floor, you know, washed wax floor. I mean, white white walls. I mean, it looked like a, what was it? It looked like a hospital, but it looked closer to a hospital than a steel mill. Nice. Um, this is Three Rivers 3D or a different one? This is Three Rivers 3D. Nice. And we did it. We were very kind of a hybrid lean. Uh, we couldn't do single piece flow um, just because yeah. we did like tiny batches. So like batches of six, well, that's so like pretty six good piece flow. Um, yeah. And it just had to do with things like, you know, glue drying and curing. So sometimes I just had to do sense. things in some batch that processes. always takes forever. There's just some, so, but yeah, all the inventory was stored at the bench on the floor and it was designed so that yeah, if we got a, I could have one person run the entire line. Oh, cool. Or a, or if business was big, I could put two people on and they'd work like I literally had benches facing each other. So you'd work on this bench and then wrap around to this bench. But if you had two people, they'd work on either side of the bench and I'd be working on something and push it across the top and then you'd receive it and then you could start working and you'd slide it down the line. That's awesome. It was really cool. And when you see those things working, just the amount of product, we were turning out a 3D scanner every, gosh, I think we got down to like 90 minutes or something. That's incredible. Um, For two, three things, people, two people. Yeah. One, I think you know. I'm saying one person. The cycle time per product was 90 minutes. But I'm saying person. how many how many humans did you need to hit that cycle time running the line? Oh, even one person will be able to. Hit. The line was efficient enough. That I didn't wow. need extra people to hit that that cadence. That's cool. It just was. It was just a question of volume. You know, so one person could spit out X number of scanners a day. Three people could spit out triple that. But it wasn't like there was an inefficiency by being one or three. One person could do the whole thing. So it basically just, scaled linearly. That's cool. So it was, really um, cool. so we would do things like in the summertime when I get, you know, high school students in, which were cheap. We yeah, would just have them build I'm, up batches of parts. Yeah, it was half as much as what I'm, or a third of what I'm paying my tech. So uh, mm. they would build up batches of inventory. So they might not build, you know, idler pulleys for three months because we had a couple of high schoolers build them for the whole summer. Um, <laughs> so we could save some money that way. But yeah, it was, yeah. It was fun. To no, that makes sense. Well, that definitely isn't lean, but like, I mean, it makes sense. Maybe it's, I guess it's hybrid lean. There are elements yeah, of the line smarter. that we still had the, you know, one tool per bin. You know, you had this screw had this, this bin, this screw went in this bin with this tool and that was it. You didn't have, and it was marked. It was had a blue piece of electrical tape on the bin and on the, <laughs> on the Allen wrench. Cool. And you just, and you just worked it and just worked your way down the bin. So a lot of it was very lean. 
but then we made adaptations based on what worked best for us. That's awesome. Um, I mean, that's, that was pretty cool. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It was one of the, probably the most fun I've had in, in my career working was, was building that assembly line. Nice. We did you know, 10,000 units or something. I mean, we were putting a lot of product out. Yeah, that's really all cool. built in Pittsburgh, right? When everybody says you got to go to China or you got to get outsourced, we did it all inside of a little 8,000 square foot building. Hey, man, I'm, I'm working on building stuff in Pittsburgh right now. It's, well, exactly. That's why I, I, yeah. so I like it. That's why I'm excited you're doing it. You know, Thank we you. need more people doing those sorts of things. Yeah. So, um, I, I yeah, recently con bond cool. my, uh, my shop back at my home office as well, which is really fun. So, yeah. Um, I, we do the same thing. Our cereals con bond. We nice. my kids laugh at us. Your my wife, that's amazing. Oh no, I'm. I, we have. Uh, we've got because we've <laughs> we got two teenage boys. So one's in college now, but um, you know we've got a couple up in the upstairs pantry. And when that one gets pulled out, you pull them from the downstairs pantry and the down because we have a downstairs. We've got shelves on the other side of this here. Yeah. Where we've got larger bulk stuff. We we were kind of stocking up during the pandemic a little bit, and then when that last box goes, Makes my sense. wife scans it with um the barcode right <laughs> that's and awesome that's what it I comes do right in and we get 10 more and then we just kind of yeah, it's kind of a kanban say it kind of that's it a, no that is that's not kind of that is a kanban yeah. system yeah so we just don't have the cards at the end it's mostly the empty box when you get down to the last empty yeah. box well, the fact that you've managed to figure out how to parse the barcode with stock on the box is still pretty it, cool it, like did that take any doing from a software perspective or was it just they make it no, easy it's and targets that? app so if oh, you go cool. to the target app you can just so we have this stuff is all the stuff we get from target we have different things we get from giant eagle but the stuff we get from target the dry goods we get from target are all done on short shelves upstairs and big shelves in the basement nice and then yeah and and we don't worry about batching it like as soon as it runs out we buy that product yeah it's awesome so every day we're placing order for something i see i I was stockpiling before covid but i think it's just because i'm a lazy bastard and i i didn't want to go to the store that often so we just I, we didn't want to go into the store we're I'll like, buy like gonna order three it. toilet paper like but when i say toilet i'll buy like three of the giant costco things yeah. of toilet paper because i just don't want to go to costco more than you know once every second month you know and so yeah, well, I, I get that um yeah. I, we got i do the giant eagle regularly just because there's too many refrigerators yeah i've started items. doing that too i mean and i'll i like buying the frozen salmon from costco and just sticking it in like one of two freezers kind of nice just living by myself you know i'm just i'll just stock up but um I, i've started buying fresh fish from giant eagle even though it's more expensive because it's like yeah, all right this tastes pretty good and it's nice to not be eating the same thing all the time yeah you don't have to be cheap on everything in life right sometimes it's nice yeah. to get something that's 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 good um yeah so yeah, yeah a little a little little kanban in the house which is kind of kind of funny that's hilarious I love that. my wife's a psychologist but she's just we've she's been living with me for years with this stuff so uh, actually, this will be our 29th year being married, so it's been a long time. Oh, nice. Um, so she's kind of picked some things up along the way. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, that's uh, honestly, I kind of want to start combining my groceries now in addition to my shop inventory. <laughs> yeah, I don't have enough shop inventory. I, it's just, I, I don't have any turnover here. Well, so the I thing is, like, I'm over. one guy, so I don't eat, I don't consume that many groceries. So, but I have, I've got metric fasteners out the wazoo. So, you know, that, that right. God. Oh yeah, no, it's it's great for fasteners for sure. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I I like to cook, so I've got all these fancy salts. So I've got five different types of salt in inventory right now in my kitchen. So I've got the pink Himalayan nonsense that I I honestly don't really like that much. I think it's a fucking um, snake oil 
in my opinion. Doesn't yeah, really taste better. I mean, obviously, there's no nonsense woo woo properties that people. Th- I mean, it's a bunch right. of crap. I, I don't know. It's a waste of money. Um, but like, what I do like is the molden salt. So it's like the really granular, like giant ass salt crystals. Those are cool. Okay. And then the yeah. Morton's kosher salt is like the workhorse. And then I started getting this black folk salt, which is similar to the molden, but with just more minerals. And then I bought a bunch of fleur de sol when I was in France last month. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't do any cooking. So that's all. Like, I understand what you're saying, but it's just my wife and my son do most of the Sorry. cooking in the house. I'm so. a nerd in that way. <laughs> no, it's cool. I, my son loves it, so I think, yeah. think it's great, but it's just nothing. Uh, I found... It's more, we, we've been on different schedules. The startup has put me on different schedules from the family. Well, it's interesting. You know, when every time I've done a startup, I want to make sure I maintain that balance. Yeah. So you, you, everybody works those 60, 80 hour weeks when you're building the company, and I've been for doing sure. it for 20 years. But I always made sure I was home every day at you know five or six o'clock, have dinner with just my wife, and you know, we go exercise together or when I have the cool. kids. The kids, once we had the kids, you know, go help me, you know, have dinner with them, read them a story, play, get them to bed, tuck them in, and then go back to the office for three or four hours. So that's you a know, good way had, to do it, I think. It really worked out great, you know, and it's they, from their perspective, I was always around, you know, I'd be, I'd still could coach their teams and I was always there, but, you know, didn't get a lot of sleep through that. So yeah, I, I've noticed I get better at that though as I get older. Like, I mean, I, it, I feel like it turns really... the other direction eventually, by the way. Oh, shit. So I'm going to need more you get, sleep. You soon get enough. really good at, oh, I was great in my 40s at this. I could just work. I could say I did my best work between like 10 at night and two in the morning. Yeah, that's Seriously. like my peak hours, too. I was the same way. But then, then I wasn't. Now it's like I'll, I'll be lucky to, I mean, daylight savings is going to take me two months to recover from, even the good one. You just, so, once you hit 50, man, the sleep is rough. Uh, yeah, that to look forward to. <laughs> It I feel like a genius because when my last night, so I, I spent a month in Europe before I started this new gig and my last night in, uh, in Paris, I just, uh, I figured I, I would be better off and it would be more responsible if I just stayed up dancing at an underground club all night. So that's what I did. I, I went out and, you know, I, I danced with, uh, these two Scandinavians and then I hung, ended up hanging out with one of their dates. He took me to an after hours bar. I went over there and I just hung out. I stayed up. Um, I, I went and got a coffee like after I left the bar. <laughs> Actually, I, I got a, I got like three or four coffees at this coffee place. And then I just got on my airplane and I flew back to the States. And I've just been waking up at, you know, like yeah, that was very 5 awful. or 6 a.m. ever since. I've been on perfect behavior. <laughs> and so, you know, if you're trying to get into a good sleep schedule, my, my advice to you is just stay up all night in a different country where <laughs> dance with some Scandinavians. Yeah. I think yeah, I'm going to hard exactly. pass on all of that, just... <laughs> but I appreciate the, uh, the idea. Yeah. Sorry. I, maybe, maybe not the most appropriate thing to do, but no, no, it's all yeah, good. Now it's, uh, no, but a lot of, a lot of long hours, but yeah, the, the sleep is harder. It's harder. I still could do the work that I used to do, but it's, I just don't have that. That energy is definitely palpable. It's harder to put in those longer hours. Than yeah, that makes sense. Well, how younger. much like sleep were you getting when you were doing the um, sort of the the peak of that? Yeah, there was a, when I was Three Rivers was had an interesting point where we were like on the fringe of we're about to go out of business and we're oh my gosh we're growing faster than we can possibly keep up. Um, we had like a one year cycle. We were literally saying, I told my wife, I said if something doesn't happen by Christmas. We're gonna get through Christmas and I'm gonna come back from Christmas. We're gonna just shut this thing down. That makes sense. Um, We've all been there. And at least if you've run a company. Yeah. 
if you're being honest, we've all been there, yeah. right? Some people want to pretend that it's all roses and sunshine and it's not. So yeah, I, um, I 100% agree. I mean, well, maybe if you've held a full-time job your whole life or like you work at the DMV, you've never been there. But I well, think yeah, anybody that's tried to do anything challenging on their own has been there. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So that, so we were going to shut, you know, that was kind of like, let's go through Christmas. We get to January. Um, we got a, an acquisition offer from a company, which was marginal. And then we, like a, within a, I think it was the day after I met with the company that wanted to acquire us. Um, we met what turned out to be our largest customer ever. Wow. And, um, they wanted us to develop, we were building scanners that were $25,000. They wanted us to build something that was a couple of thousand bucks. So we had to completely redesign everything. So there was like a nine month period where we went, we had to design the entire product line from scratch and go to scale. So we went from doing, you know, a dozen $25,000 scanners a year to doing hundreds of multi-thousand dollar scanners a month. Cool. Um, so that, that period of time, I was probably legitimately, I would work, I'd get to, you know, again, do my thing, go home, have dinner, get the kids to bed, go back to the office at nine at night and work till four in the morning go home and sleep for two or three hours. I mean, there was months of two or three hours and okay. it adds up. That took a toll. Yeah. That, would, that would get you. I feel like, and I could do it for, you know, three, four, five days. And then I'd crash hard and then I'd that recover. And then do How long three, did you four, sleep for when you crashed? If I can ask. Oh, I don't remember for sure. Probably 12 hours. That makes hours. Sense. It, wasn't like, it wasn't like it was two days. I, I can anything, hit but... maybe like four or five hours of regularity, I think right now. And I, and I feel good about that, but I mean, any more than that, and I start to get to a point where I, I need—I have a deficit to make up, and it's getting made up one way or the other. But it's not good for you, you know. I put weight on during that time. I got out of some. I—I I, I fell asleep at the wheel recently, and I crashed a car. Like that was—that was bad. That's really bad. Well, my second company did. It's funny you say that because I was talking. I teach that class at CME, and we're talking about pitch decks. And you know, I was telling the system that you know, was lane departure warning would tell you. If you left lane, it would also give you a drowsiness alertness indicator. It would measure your performance of driving. So even if you were steering out of your lane, like you could be beep, beeping and bopping inside your lane without ever leaving it, which a normal lane departure won't tell you until you leave. Ours would detect that variance and give you this alertness index. But I said, when I always talk to investors, I'd say, hey, don't have to raise your hand, but who here has fallen asleep at the wheel? Because everybody's had an incident like this. And it's amazing and scary. It's really dangerous. Yeah, um, I agree. It was fucking terrifying. I yeah. woke up going through barriers and then I ended up in a ditch. I mean, it sucks. I'm glad you're okay, but that's not a... Me as well. Yeah. That's, um, but it, it's insidious because you don't... The thing that we learned is, and I did to, to myself on a trip, I had to go to a trade show in I don't know, Kentucky or something. I forget where it was. And I put this, I turned the system on, but then I disabled all the alerts. So it was tracking and logging my performance the entire trip, but it wasn't telling me, it doesn't give me any feedback. And then I was taking a log I feel tired at 8.32 at night. I feel really tired at 9.05. And I would log like, and then I went back. And what, what we discovered was that, for me at least, it was about a 30-minute difference. The system detected bad driving about a half hour before I thought I was driving. Oh, that is cool. Which was really neat. And it was a great sales pitch and story to tell. But it makes sense, right? Because we all think like, oh, I'm really okay. I'm not, you know, you're starting to get that little, those head nods. or the, Yeah, you're, by the time you're bit, like, you know, like get get back at it. Like, yeah, you've like been you doing should, a bad you job. Should probably go to a hotel and just get off the road. <laughs> and, and I will say that's the thing that I learned at that company. I spent so many times logging accidents because I wanted to understand how serious this was, and I was just like, a lot of people are dying from it. So I get any indication of fatigue, I pull over right away. Uh, I don't even. I don't try. I don't push. Just it. Just I. I learned from being there 
just how bad it is but um do you sleep in the yeah, car do you usually get like a hotel like what's your shtick coffee i've done i've done every yeah. i've done every combination try to uh, go to a hotel if i can but i had a trip once i had to go to dc a couple years ago and it was just for a meeting yeah. And apparently it was like the policeman's national convention that weekend. I had no idea. <laughs> Every hotel was booked. I'm like, oh, it's DC. No. I'll just roll into DC and grab a hotel, right? I mean, there's a billion hotels in DC. No hotels anywhere. I drove like 45 minutes out to find one and I still and I had a reservation and they were overbooked. So here I am, it's like one in the morning. I have a meeting at eight AM. With a reservation no you couldn't get in. Even with my reservation, I couldn't get in. So I drove back into the city, found an Eaton Park or a Denny. I think it was a Denny's, 24-hour Denny's, and just stayed at the Denny's, did some work till my meeting at 8, you know, and then uh, <laughs> did my meeting and got my – I was staying for another day, got my hotel, you know, that night. But um, so I've stayed up all night in the Denny's. I've done the – I don't like sleeping in the car. I'm not sure that it's safe, but I've, I've yeah. done it. But I've, I've done um, it. I'm not great at it. I've tried to do it and not been able to sleep. Yeah. The day I crashed my my car while I was driving, I um I tried to sleep and I couldn't in the car, and I was just like, yeah, I guess I'll just keep going. I can't get to sleep. Yeah, here. the hotel's worth it at that point. Yeah, it would have been. So cheaper than your deductible on your car, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't even put it through insurance. I paid out of pocket. It was uh, it wasn't horrible. I mean, it was maybe like four grand, but I could have done way more damage. Yeah. Luckily, I'm okay. That's good. I'm glad. Nope. Yeah. Just get to the hotel next time. Yeah, I would think I will. Yeah. Also, just copy, I think, just to get over the hump with stuff like that is not a bad idea. And then just get where you're going and then crash. I don't know. Yeah, I find it, it's assuming it's close. Just, yeah, it just doesn't, after a while, it just doesn't work as well. Well, it just depends, yeah, it. how hard you're pushing. I mean, if you're hitting adrenal fatigue because you're just taking, you know, stimulants nonstop, I mean, yeah, you probably should just get the hotel. Yeah, exactly. But if you're not at that point yet, you can push with the coffee. Yeah, again, as you get older, those you just start making those decisions differently. You know what? It's just there's not. I try to make traveling. I've done enough miserable travel in my career. I like <laughs> my travel to. I don't need to be deluxe travel, but I don't want to suffer my traveling anymore. Interesting. Um, I, that kind of makes sense. I mean, so part of me, like, I enjoy going somewhere uh, third or second world, and and sort of just seeing how much I can get for how little an amount of money. That's part of the experience though, right? That's the yeah. trip is to do that. This is, I'm saying I'm going to Detroit for a, for a business meeting. I'm not going to drive. I've done the Detroit meetings at 8am where I would leave at you know, three in the morning and drive out instead of getting in a hotel. I won't do that anymore. That's the sort of thing <laughs> that I used to do. I'm like, I won't schedule an 8am meeting or I'll take the hotel the night before, but that makes sense. Like, ah, so I try to you know, avoid those sorts of things. Yeah. So, I, had, I had an interesting experience on this recent trip where I, um, I thought I was being responsible, much like my uh, other story I told. But this time, I um, it was on the way out. And um, I originally wanted to go to Thailand before I ended up in Europe. But um, it was very difficult to track um, the entry requirements with COVID-19 going on. So I, I got a negative COVID test as per the U.S. Uh, embassy's website in Thailand. I got my vaccination. I did all that. And... Um, I, I got to uh, Canada for one of my layovers because I was trying to save money on air travel. So I, I had like a million layovers. So I had a 12-hour layover in Canada. I booked uh, two days of an Airbnb. It was basically a flop house just to sleep. Uh, so I got in at 7 a.m. and my flight departed at 7 p.m. So I figure 
by the time I get here and get back to the airport, maybe I'll get like eight or ten hours of sleep, and then I can pull on there the night before, get caught up. I'll be on tie time when I get there. It'll be responsible and good. And so I uh, I got to customs, got to the Airbnb, checked in, slept, got back to the airport. They would not let me back in because my test was an antigen test, not a PCR test. Uh, so I spent like four hundred Canadian dollars on a PCR test the next day, which I didn't actually need. At least you're able to get it, you know, because yeah. those are not always easy to get a hold of. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, that I paid the expedite fee is what it was. I mean, okay, they're charging me to get the results immediately instead of them sitting on it for a day. So it's it's actually quite a clever price discrimination technique, I thought. But... <laughs> <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah. So my throat's my throat's starting to fade here. So what what other what else can I ask talk to you about? Um, interesting. I mean, whatever you want. Like, I mean, we're just we're just bullshitting. Um, I don't want to keep you if you're sick, um, or rather just, you know, tired and been talking too much, but. Well, let me say, I'll, I'll, so I'll, I'll just throw something out there. Yeah, sure. I think the startup community in town is great. I think that uh, a lot of discussion of what are we going to do? How do we grow? What do we change? The one thing I want to see people doing more of is celebrating the companies that are making money, not the ones that are raising debt. There's become this weird cultural behavior now that hey i raised 20 million dollars oh my gosh congratulations you're doing so great and not recognizing that 20 million dollar raise which may be necessary in a lot of cases for sure it's also 20 million dollar debt yeah that means you're still not revenue positive or you're at least not profitable so i think that we spend way too much time celebrating the wrong things and we need as a as a community focus on the companies that are doing that are making money that have customers that are generating revenue and not just celebrating science projects with you know big investment money i honestly those are the things that are sustainable i completely agree and i mean i mentioned the the series a that form logic has raised but one of the reasons i'm really excited to be working for form logic is that my boss the the ceo of the company um raised when i say raised i mean earned 400 million dollars in revenue with his last company right Um, that's different to me that means he's got credibility you know and he's you know able to earn money and see a good business idea that's not just a ponzi scheme and so yeah not not to make it like too tied into my my current gig but i mean i I agree with you i I think it's i think it's more important to earn profit and not just revenue but profit than it is to um you know uh just get money from excited investors that might be a little bit uh just slap happy or wanting to see the latest great thing or doing what their friend is doing yeah, there's a there's a place for that. If that VC money helps get you to the next level where you need well, it, that's I completely that's great. agree on that too. But that has to be the, the end goal has to be a profitable business, and that just seems to get lost in today's world. Yeah, which is me being old a little bit, but it's also being very pragmatic. If we want the region to grow and thrive, we have to be making money. We just can't do it off of if somebody basically giving us venture capital, spending it, and our growth can't be off of venture debt. It has to be off of actual profitable. Well, I mean, I, I think it's okay to grow off of venture debt so long as you have a plan for, you know, yes. conversion. And so... And that's what, I, yes, I agreed. I, it, that's completely agree with that. It's It has to be a means to an end. It can't just be the end. I, I agree with that. And, uh, you know, I think we could be making a lot more stuff here. You know, there's, yeah. um, there's still just a cultural that... We don't have the culture yet saying I should just build it on my own it's still just i'll let it be somebody else's problem so you know hopefully you guys are going to help that you know it's why i teach my class at cmu about hey here's how you can build a startup company you can do it yourself yeah. you don't have to just make somebody else uh, do the work for you because 
there's a huge competitive advantage when you've got when you control your manufacturing. Well, the other thing too is, I mean, I think the more jobs you do and the more you in-house, the smarter you are in your processes. And I mean, there's there's a beauty to self-reliance, you know that. Oh, absolutely. I sometimes lose track. I mean, it's easy when you're busy to say like, well, I'm I'm very swamped. I, I of course I need to delegate this and that and that, you know and. You know, it's it's kind of a cop out because you know if you if you delegate everything, then, then what the hell are you doing? You know, and so well, I think that's true. And you're right. Somebody's becoming an expert at, it and they're figuring out. Oh, you know what? If I make this one little change over here, I can be more efficient. And maybe they can make it, and they're making they're saving money, or they can't make the change because they don't control the design. So I used to have my engineers work on the production floor. Oh, cool. I'd go to the production floor. I'd go to the production floor every single month for a couple few days, and I'd see what's working well, what's not working well can I help the production guys do something more efficiently? Or can I say, maybe I go back to the engineers and make a change to help the production people. Um, it was, it, you learn so much by doing it. Um, and we, our engineers were better because of it. And I, my production people go, go to sales calls. So they yeah, can see well, what it's our awesome. Customers I mean, to, to have everybody rotating like that. And I, I don't, you didn't say this, but I, I would assume your people are probably more interested and more engaged because they have more of an involvement in the Absolutely. holistic operation of the company. And they're doing more shit. They're not just, you know, tightening the same bolt every day. And so I, I had a point where my production guy saw that there was somebody getting a delivery for a product, um, you know, that was local. Was, our stuff was shipped worldwide. And, you know, we did, we had a, a sales center somewhere else, but orders would come in. We just shipped them out. Like, Hey, this guy's just down the road. So he and I got in the car and we hand delivered it. And the customer's like, Oh, that's so cool. But then he got to see the customer. Yeah. See, and it was just, yes, there's an engagement there. There's a pride in what you're doing. Um, I mean, it was just healthy all across the board. That's awesome. That was, I said, Three Rivers is a really cool company, and we got to do some neat things while we were there. That's really badass. I, I appreciate you sharing these stories. I mean, I know we've kind of talked about it off and on, but I don't think at this level. So Yeah, probably fun. not. Yeah, when I was at Assistware, it was a little different because we weren't as big. production. Our production, we, we did more units, but the production was simpler. Yeah. So I didn't have quite the, the expansive plant there. But that was a funny story. The very first time I installed my... Um, Lane departure system. We we land landed uh, FedEx as a customer. Oh, cool! And yeah, that's a, they that's bought a Fortune fifty. A, I mean, you want that? They bought a lot of units. If FedEx was going to do it, everybody was going to follow. Yeah. So we're down at Volvo. They were buying these. They were getting installed at a Volvo production plant, which was amazing. It's a huge plant, and I've got a hundred of these units. They're in the back of my car. We're driving down there. Um, I had a I hired a production guy. It was his first day on the job, and he's in the car with me going down to do this installation of Volvo. And I'm expecting to be like, there's a FedEx truck. Like there, as soon as FedEx trucks came up, there'd be a hundred in a row, right? No, FedEx, 10 different other companies, then a FedEx, then 20 different trucks, then another FedEx, they're all spread out. So yeah, it's like 11 o'clock at night. The first FedEx truck rolls off the line with our system installed. I'm like, this is awesome. They go to turn it on. Doesn't work. <laughs> I'm like, all right. They're like, Hey, we got a whole QC check. We can't hold down the production line. We're gonna go park it in the, in the rehab lot over here in the dark where it's, you know, CD and nobody wants to go over there and the oh, lights no. are blinking. And I'm like, but you can't go over there yet. We're just gonna park it there for now. I'm like, all right. So I'm getting a little nervous. Hour later, next truck comes through. It doesn't work. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is bad. Truck number three, it doesn't work. Oh no. At this point, I got the plant manager saying, we're gonna pull this thing out right now because we can't afford to be refitting all these trucks and having, you know, a hundred more of them that are bad. Well, it turns out the next 97 worked perfectly. <laughs> the, that never happens. The, the first three were all installation problems because they were uh, brand new. So like the one, 
they forgot to put the fuse in uh, because this was a new product. So they had to put the yeah. fuse in the block. The second one, they forgot to connect the cable. And then the third one, they, they crimped the cables. It's all production problems, but yeah. that 0 for 3 start was pretty terrifying. That's terrifying. Yeah, I would agree. And it's like 2 or 3 in the morning. I'm down in Virginia. The whole company's hinging on this installation. Uh, it ended up working out really well, but that was um, yeah, kind of a funny story. Yeah, I mean, companies are made and broken on the backs of FedEx all the time. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, but once they once they used it and they just standardized, every new FedEx truck got one of our products. That's so and then cool. all of a sudden, every other truck company saying, well, I want what FedEx has. And nice. Volvo, who wouldn't pick up the phone to talk to me before then, FedEx says, hey, by the way, I'm ordering you know, a, a thousand trucks. I want a hundred with this system in it. Volvo's going to do what FedEx tells them to do. Yeah, of course. So all of a sudden, Volvo's calling us saying, hey, we need to get your product in here. Whereas before, they would never talk to me. So now we not only had everybody looking at FedEx saying, we want to follow what FedEx is doing, Volvo now had it as an option. So if you're buying a Volvo truck, it'd be easy to say, click the assistware box. Oh, that's awesome. So it was um, that was a pretty cool inflection point, but it was very nerve-wracking at the time. I feel like everything worth doing is, like I've never done a project where I felt accomplished and there wasn't a moment where I, I didn't think like, I don't know if I can do this or not. You know? Yeah, and if you if you're at that point where it's going so well, you're starting to wonder where the shoe's about to fall hard. You want to find, <laughs> you know, something bad's going to happen, so you kind of want to get out of the way early. And I used to tell like whenever we have a problem with a product and we have a, and it's early, I'm like, hey, that's good. We're getting out of the way early because you don't want that problem at the very bitter end. So I always look at those me. problems as, as a positive thing. Yeah, well, I mean, every problem. I, I think if you're smart, right? <laughs> I always say I don't mind making a mistake so long as I don't repeat it. And so, I mean. I think that's what your guys did i mean if they you know the fuse the the crimp fail i mean that's all that's all learning right i mean right. that all that made it better so yeah, yeah and it was so they were easy things thing. they weren't fundamental problems they were just for sure i mean the, the fact that that's what i mean that's not to even to do with the product i mean that means your core product functioned it was just you know like you said integration installation yep but that's where the rubber hits the road that's like that's why when you maintain your manufacturing it says those touch points are things that you just can't you don't learn nearly as well if somebody else is doing it 10,000 miles Yeah, away. you never learn in the lab or in the test environment. Like, just certain factors you can't always simulate perfectly. That's right, including the stress of a VP telling you he's going to kick you out of their plant. You can't simulate that either. Oh, my gosh. That is poor guy's his first day in the job, and, you know, I'm freaking out. I'm getting yelled at, and he's just like, what the hell did I just sign up for? <laughs> So, he just um, signed up with you. That's amazing. It was his first day on the job. Was this trip? Wow. So, that must have been I, difficult to manage. Like, you know, just all all of that. Yeah, it was. Um, it was. I, I, you know, I got my view on that. You got if you're transparent with everybody, I find that solves a lot of problems. Yeah, I feel the same. Yeah, way. I didn't have to. I, mean, I, I try to give my people thing. the maximum amount of data because I mean, you, you just miss out on so much. I mean, they respect it, and and they can also give you ideas. I mean, if, if stuff right. is, you know, I mean, you're 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 missing out on all the brain power of all those people if you don't give them the tools they need to actually contribute. Yeah, so if I was trying to manage his expectations or manage his worry, um, treating him like a baby, that would have been stressful. Instead, it was like, hey, we're in this together. Just help me out. And uh, yeah, he was great because he was kind of the voice of reason through all of it. That's awesome. Yeah, he mean, wasn't you, panicking. You kind of have to, right? You're just like, all right, it's, it's either going to yeah. get solved or it's not. But it's definitely not if I don't, you know, keep it together and work. So. Exactly. And I, you know, I wasn't 
freaking out in a bad way, but I was just getting very puckered up and like, this is, this, this could be bad. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I've said that before. Like, I mean, there's been times when I've had a team working on something with a client where, I mean, it's very obvious if we don't deliver that, you know, we're going to lose the business and nobody's going to get paid. Um, and so well, I mean, we'll get paid then, but like next week, isn't going to be a thing. So, right. You know, I mean, I think in those situations, like you said, you just got to be upfront with your folks and be like, look, I mean, yes, there's a real chance we'll lose this account if we don't deliver. And so, I right. mean, it's all in your control still. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, we, we just have to, you know, pull a rabbit out of a hat here. Uh, or, you know, we can decide to, to not have this account next week. I mean, this is within right. our control. I mean, a little bit of luck for sure. Always. I mean, you can't control everything. Oh, it's a huge amount of luck. Timing, right customer, right time. Um, yeah, luck is the weather being the way you want it to. Your vendor's not, smart. not pulling the rug out from under you. I mean, there's a lot of things that could go wrong for sure. Yeah, I think some of the most successful companies and some of the failures are not that far apart. You know, there's a there's a thin line there. That I think a lot of people don't appreciate. There's a there's quite a bit of luck involved on both directions. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I could agree with that. You like to think there isn't because the world is, is a nicer place to live in that way in, in some ways, right? Because, you know, if you, if you do everything you're supposed to and you show up on time and you're, but yeah, yeah. of course, I mean, people that's, that do that get, you know, don't. you're more likely if you do the right things, but it's, there is, you're um, stacking the deck in your favor. Exactly. But you're not, you can't, you can't, that doesn't guarantee anything. And, and the most successful people didn't always do it because they were that much smarter or better. Sometimes they got lucky too. The timing is just right or wrong. So yeah. I probably need to wrap up here. No worries. Not... Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. Is there anything you want to plug while you're here? Like anything like website, product, side hustle, uh, I, main hustle? I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I wish I had something to plug right now, but how about when I have something to plug, you bring me back. And we'll yeah, you should come way. back. And this has been really fun. Uh, Maybe in person next time. Like we could, we could just that would be cool. Out. Yeah, that, that would be good. Yeah, no, not really. I think um, I think the biggest thing for me is I. the last year has been rough for everybody. We've seen a lot of problems in the, like I said, supply chains become a oh, supply chain, supply chain, supply chain. But for years, I've said that we need to manufacture in-house and we need to maintain control of our, our vendors. I'd rather use local vendors. My products were always built off local vendors. I'm hoping now is the time people finally say, you know what? Yeah, let's do it because we can. We have the technology, we have the intelligence, we have the we have everything here to do it. We just need the willpower to do it. So I'm hoping this is the some good things come out of COVID. You know, yeah. um, my son runs track. Um, his season was canceled, but we got to spend several months training together. You know, when he would have been off with his team or something else, and he ended up having a phenomenal high school career. He's running in college now, but I I got to spend six seven months riding my bike while he was running. So while yeah, COVID cool. was horrible. That was a memory I'll never forget and never, I would have never had without it. I was working from home. He was training on his own. We got to spend that time in bond and it was awesome. So That's there's awesome. good things that can come out of this crap. And I'm thinking the good thing that comes out of it industry-wide is we learn how to make stuff in this country again. Yeah, well, I had some really cool professional accomplishments too, just during COVID. And by the way, making things in this country, you heard it here first, www.formlogic.com. <laughs> Mike from Micah says you should go there and, and buy all your high precision aerospace. <laughs> buy local. Gotta buy local. Med parts uh, made right here in Pittsburgh. So Yeah, you'll have to win if you're allowed, I'd like to come down and get a tour. So you can uh, Yeah, I, I would assume so. Um I'll I'll obviously run it by, but 
Probably. Let's see why not. Check it. I'd love to see what you guys are up to. So uh, Absolutely. I'm inviting I'm inviting myself down in exchange for this uh, hour and Let's a half. Let's stick around after you. this, uh, and uh, we'll we'll set it up. That sounds great. Right, thanks for coming on, man. All right, thanks, Ben. If you stuck around this long and you like what you've heard, please give us a like and smash that subscribe button, or smash that like button and give us a subscribe. But we're always looking for new and interesting people to have on the show. If you know anyone good, send an email to podcast at ska.solutions or leave a comment below. Thanks again for listening, and please come to the next one.